I'm going to come down from my soapbox, but we're still going to be talking about Black excellence. Fight for health, justice, and equity often begins with a simple conversation. So let's start it here on Black Body Health, the podcast. I'm Natasha Phelps, lawyer, director at the Center for Black Health and Equity, and your friendly host. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the show, family, to another episode of Black Body Health, the podcast. And it is still Black History Month, y'all. Yes, it is. I'm uh, celebrating myself, and I'm wondering if you've been doing anything to celebrate and what that celebration really looks like. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine about what it means to celebrate Black History Month as a Black person in this world that we're living in, in this situation. (laughs) And all I can say is that I'm tired, and so is my friend, and I'm sure so many of you are. And I had, before I started talking to my friend, had just seen a post by the NAP Ministry. Have you heard of them before? It's an organization that was founded by Trisha Hersey that really amplifies and supports rest as liberation. So check them out on social media if you haven't already, and you will be reminded to go take a nap. Seriously, they'll tell you to go rest, go take a nap, put your phone down, and just breathe. But anyways, the NAP ministry posted on February 1st, which is the first day of Black History Month, that they wouldn't be doing anything specific for Black History Month on any of their social media platforms. Their message was, we are going to continue to rest and really live our rest message by resting and daydreaming. So they basically said, listen, we do not need to put on a show to show you that Black excellence and genius is all around you. You know, you can figure that out and see it just by walking out the door. They said that they're not doing any more for these social media platforms during Black History Month. They're actually going to be doing less, slowing down and resting. And so my friend and I were talking about rest as a part of Black History Month celebration, honoring Black history, honoring our Black experience, honoring ourselves by, yes, resting, and then also assessing the ways in which we do or really actually don't rest. And so it's a topic for another episode, but all I will say for now is this, rest is a birthright. And in a productivity-centered society that we live in, rest is resistance and a tool for community healing. And so on that Black History Month post, uh, the NAP ministry said in their caption, to thrive as a Black person in this wicked land is a breathtaking miracle. It is history. We're resting every day, a lifelong unraveling, a pilgrimage. So celebrate Black History Month with me and commit to giving yourself one minute, five, 10 minutes after you get done listening to this episode or, you know, feel free to take a break and come back just to close your eyes and rest. Okay, so on today's show, which is the last episode to come out of Black History Month 2022, I'm going to briefly profile some of the work happening at the Center for Black Health and Equity, and then we're going to get into a really important topic at the intersection of Black excellence and health, Black doctors. So first, we have a lot going on at the Center for Black Health and Equity. If you listened to our last podcast episode, you got a rundown of our newest resource, Health Justice and Tobacco Control. 
This health justice guide takes you on a journey to understand how the commercial tobacco industry was born out of the enslavement and oppression of Black people, eventually coming to target Black communities with you know, these addictive and deadly products flavored with by uh, menthol and mint and other, other flavors. And equally important, the guide describes a framework that can actually help communities address the resulting health disparities through community engagement, education, coalition building, policy change, really finding solution and moving towards solution with community at the center. And so you can find a PDF of uh, the health justice guide or view it live on our website at centerforblackhealth.org slash health justice guide. And then coming up on February 25th and 26th, a few members of our center family will actually be in person at uh, the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association or the CIA Fan Fest in Baltimore, really to just spread the word on black health issues and some of our resources. So uh, if you're interested, catch the highlights on our social media accounts, which is at Center for Black Health on Instagram and Facebook and Center for BH on Twitter. So keep an eye out for updates on those events. Back to Black doctors. And you know what? Thank God for Black doctors, seriously. Have you been lucky enough to find a Black physician that you trust? Or have you ever been in the emergency room nervous about not being believed or properly cared for and just the drapes open or the door opens and ah, a Black doctor enters your room. Yeah, it can be like that. It can feel like that. A few years ago, I found a Black woman, OBGYN, and I have never had an annual exam include a discussion about family dynamics, stress, racial injustice, toxic restlessness. Like what? I felt comfortable having that discussion. Normally, I would never feel comfortable talking about those things in the doctor's office, but I felt comfortable in that situation. And I really left thinking like, this is what holistic and actually comprehensive preventative healthcare should look like, because we know that our health is informed by so many things. And the black doctors that I follow, you know, through the news and on social media have been some of the strongest voices dispelling the misinformation circulating around about the COVID-19 vaccines and protective measures like masking. They've been advocating for social safety nets as a measurement of health. And, you know, they're the ones that I'm hearing raising up the janitors, the maintenance and sanitation crews, food service staff, administration, patient counselors within hospitals and healthcare systems while we're talking about the strain on the healthcare system during the pandemic. Across all races, reports show that patients are more likely to report satisfaction when, when their doctors look like them. And so data shows, for example, that when Black physicians are working with Black patients, there are better outcomes in preventative care, cardiac care, and infant mortality. The problem is that there is an incredibly small percentage of Black doctors in the U.S. compared to the Black population. So according to Kaiser Permanente, there are, there are just over 1 million physicians in the United States. However, despite African-Americans making up over 12% of the US population, only 5% of the country's doctors are black or African-American. This is due to many things that we're gonna get into today. Historical discrimination and oppression, you know, like black people being barred from attending college or medical school, having an anti-black medical education system that really resulted in declining rates of black medical students 
even when it was legal for them to attend those schools. And then just general barriers and education and higher education and burnout. Black doctors are significantly underrepresented in the US medical field and there are so many reasons why. And so it's hopeful news that the enrollment of black students in medical school has increased by record numbers this past year. But there's still so much more to talk about even with that hopeful news. The point is black doctors benefit patient care advance medical innovation, and improve individual and public health overall in a variety of ways. But African-Americans face additional challenges on the road to becoming a physician. And then once they are a physician, they face unique challenges while practicing. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about Black doctors, the hurdles to becoming and saying one, major accomplishments of Black physicians, and why it's so important that they exist. Because yes, it's Black History Month. And for this last episode, we are ringing the bell and singing out loud that Black doctors matter. I mean, what does it even mean to become a doctor? Generally speaking, it's my understanding, I'm not a lawyer. I'm or I'm not a doctor, I'm a lawyer. I am a lawyer. I'm not a doctor though. I'm not here to give medical advice. Um, I'm not here to speak on behalf of black doctors and their experience. But I do know that generally speaking, what becoming a doctor means is graduating from high school and college with competitive grades, taking the MCAT or the medical college admission test, applying to and interviewing with medical schools, and then getting into medical schools based on those interviews and your test scores and your grades and extracurricular activities, et cetera, your connections, passing exams while you're in medical school, applying for and matching with a residency program while you're in medical school, graduating from medical school, starting your residency, and then getting a general medical license, and then getting board certified for your medical specialty. So basically becoming a physician or a doctor takes a lot of time, a lot of hard work, and a lot of patience. And even though I'm not a doctor, what I do know is that I had to do not, not all of that, but I had to go through some things to become a lawyer. And I will tell you that I have had many, many discouraging, racist, unjust experiences on my journey to becoming a lawyer. I truly, I I hated law school. And I don't know if I've met a Black attorney that didn't, or at least didn't have an experience that was less than enjoyable. I know many Black law students that actually dropped out because the experience was too traumatizing, too expensive, or just too much, even though they had their mindset on practicing law. So when we talk about all that it takes to become a doctor, and we know that we need Black doctors, I really think about my own experience and the experience of so many of our listeners, so many of you, while you were in school and advancing in your careers, what part of that journey to becoming a doctor has become or has been so burdensome and inaccessible that would explain in part why more young black students or black professionals haven't made their way to and through medical school and you know, making up a bigger percentage of the physician workforce in the United States. And of course, when we talk about barriers to medical school and eventually the medical workforce for black children and young adults, we're really talking about education. For our listeners who were alive and watching TV in the 1970s, or really anyone 
who has access to YouTube, I guess. Um, have you seen that United Negro College Fund commercial, or I guess they're not commercials or infomercials, but they established the fund's motto. So support the United Negro College Fund because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Is that not one of the most iconic models of all time? I really love it so much and I'm gonna tell you why. If you know me, you know I'm curious and I love to learn. There are few things more upsetting to me than to know that there are curious, creative, brilliant black children and young people in the world who for one or a thousand reasons have been unable to grow into their potential. It's really devastating. And now don't get me wrong, what I'm absolutely 100% not saying is that people who do not graduate high school or attend college or get advanced degrees didn't grow into their potential. Absolutely not, I'm, their minds are not wasted. Black people are talented, gifted, differently situated, inspired, and made happy in so many ways. And you know, of all the occupations and life activities that don't necessarily require educational degrees, like you know, picking up a trade, like solar panel installation or mechanics, becoming a performance artist, volunteering or caregiving for children or elders, or farming, or if you're lucky enough to have a life of travel and leisure, good for you. We are all uniquely important. Um, and and the, the way we use our time and, and, and our life is uniquely um, important to the individuals that are doing them. And it's helpful to our community, society, and world. But what I'm saying when I say it's devastating, I'm really speaking about the young people who, if they had the support that they needed and they did not have insurmountable barriers in front of them, they could have grown into their full potential as human beings, meaning that their curiosity, their brilliance, their creativity aligns with what they feel called to do during their experience on earth. That is a loss. It's a loss to them. It is a loss to our community. It's a loss to our world. And that loss can be caused by so many things, obviously from a lack of support at home or hunger, unstable housing, domestic abuse and trauma, violence, just not getting the support you need in school to explore, thrive and succeed. You know, there may be difficulty or lack of support for exploring trade school or, or post-secondary education. I know in high school, we had maybe one or two guidance counselors, and there were about 1,200 kids enrolled in my high school. And I think I had probably five minutes my whole four years there to actually talk to the counselor about college options. And in so many schools, there are these standardized measurements of success, which don't take into account how diverse our neurological abilities are, our skills, our talents of the students that are being measured by these, by these uh, values. And while we know that these are hurdles that all young people face in one way or another, because of the overwhelming evidence of inequality in all of these areas that I've mentioned, and you know, current and ancestral trauma and all the like, it's really no surprise that Black students, even those of us who have loving, resourceful, supportive family and community behind us are up against it when it comes to navigating our way to, to our greatest potential. And the undercurrent of all this, did you know I was gonna get here? I'm sure you did. Racism and anti-Blackness on a structural, institutional, interpersonal, personal level, all levels, 
Racism doesn't only result in trauma, lower quality of life, disease, injury, and death in so many ways for Black people. It is detrimental to society as a whole. It it helps explain why there are so few Black doctors in our country. And racism is expensive. It is unjust. It stunts our innovation. It hurts our economic well-being, and it leaves our democracy and our national security vulnerable. So it's an illness that's really plaguing our country, and it, and it hurts our public health. Think about how many innovations, cures for diseases, medical technological developments we would have been benefiting from today. Um, and all of if, if racism and all of the harm that it causes hadn't prevented um, generations of, of Black people from growing to their greatest potential as doctors. Think about that. Doctors are not only practicing medicine and helping patients, they're doing research. They're finding cures for diseases. Imagine where we would be if the world were not at war with Black excellence. And we can imagine this because of the incredible creations, inventions, accomplishments and progress that black people have made throughout history despite it all and that includes black doctors so okay i'm gonna come down from my soapbox but we're still gonna be talking about black excellence and so i'm getting worked up you know back to a mind is a terrible thing to waste you know if you search on youtube uh you know to search a mind is a terrible thing to waste in 1977 the top result should be one of the United Negro College Fund infomercials featuring a customized jingle by the legendary, or the genius, what they call him, musician Ray Charles. Reaching for the dream that spells tomorrow. And in this infomercial, he's basically singing that a whole new generation of Black students is, quote, reaching for the dream that spells tomorrow. And the first visual example in that infomercial is a young Black child that's witnessing a Black EMT put someone in an ambulance and then flash. It cuts to a scene of this possible future of this child as an emergency room physician, a Black doctor. So the call to the audience, right, for this infomercial is support this child so we can get from here to there. You know, send money. The UNCF obviously was looking for people to donate to the fund, which is great so that they can provide college scholarships and, and programming. But what the infomercial couldn't do is describe the barriers that that black child and many black students face in entering and graduating from medical school so they can become that emergency room physician so that they can become a black doctor. Okay, I've got another quote from you. All right, I, I swear I really, seldomly find quotes that I really connect with. And in this episode, I'm giving you two. So uh, maybe there won't be more in the, in the near future, but I really love this. So Will Jackson, who's the founder of a North Carolina nonprofit organization called Village of Wisdom, said in an Learning interview- Learning is the action of connecting prior knowledge to new information. But what people seem to be missing is that prior knowledge is so much shaped by who we are and the culture that we've grown up in. And so then you ask all of these students to come into school environments where you don't respect their culture, where you ostracize their culture, where you tell them that their hair is unacceptable, where you tell them that their clothes is unacceptable, where you tell them how they speak is unacceptable. To me, it was very clear that cognitively we were creating an inequity for black children. And so this is and a so huge more, barrier to what I was talking about. It really does not support the black genius we know and see exists among our young people, many of which could have become or sometimes make it through to become doctors. 
And this speaks to the importance of nurturing learning environment in K through 12, in college settings. The knowledge, the curiosity, the wisdom, and the culture of Black students is so often appropriated, yes, uh, silently admired, yes, but it's also disciplined, unrecognized, punished. Here are some facts from the Kings Institute. Black students are three to six times more likely to be sus suspended or expelled from school and are disciplined at a rate four times higher than any other racial or ethnic group. More than that, more than that, 70% of all suspension disciplines are discretionary. And what that means is that a school administrative professional did not have to penalize a student for violating the policy, but they chose to anyways. That's what a discretionary uh, discipline is. And get this, Black students are more likely to be suspended for discretionary reasons, such as dress code or long hair violations, neither of which are predictive of student misconduct. So there are all these policies that police natural Black hairstyles and, and, and uh, you know, expressions of, of, um, of self and the policies reasoning are often, well, we're preparing these children for the real world. Preparing them for the real world by tainting their school record with a suspension or an expulsion or just a complaint, which makes it more difficult to have academic success in school because they're being removed from the classroom. Makes it more difficult to get into college or medical school because of the, what's on their record. Makes it more difficult to be eligible or find financial aid and scholarship options. This is not preparing students for the real world. It's concerning and it doesn't help black students do well on tests that colleges and medical schools look at for admission. The point is, if we wanna see more black doctors, we need to ensure that black students in K through 12 and college education settings have the support that they need to grow and succeed so that they can get to the point where if they are able, interested and supported in applying to medical school, they can and they'll get accepted. But the challenges don't stop once, once they apply. So we're at this point. There is a Black college student or a professional and they want to go to medical school. Easy, right? They've overcome all the hurdles that we talked about. No, obviously not. That small percentage of Black doctors that we talked about in the beginning of that episode did not happen by chance. The racism that is embedded into the structure of our society, like segregation, had a damaging effect on the creation of more Black doctors. And I just want to, you know, quickly say there are medical professionals who are licensed and who have been formally recognized and employed by hospitals and healthcare institutions for a long time. But we know that there are Black people who have been helping out with health <laughs> formally and informally for a very long time. Black midwives have been a huge part of Black maternal health in this country and really have um, done so much for innovation when it comes to um, uh, pregnancy and, and uh, labor and really should be accredited for the work that they do, even if they're not, you know, hadn't gone to uh, medical school and become uh, OBGYNs um, formally. So I just want to say that I'm not just using this, you know, Western 
identification of what it means to be an expert, but you know, it matters when we're, when we're accessing our healthcare through these systems, um, especially today. And so more specifically, when it comes to the historical barriers, they have put in place for a very long time, intentional barriers to medical school for black students. In the early 1900s, there was this report that was published and it really informed the way that medical schools taught and operated. And it was very racist. The author, whose name I won't mention, if you really want it, please send us an email. I'll give you the contact information at the end of the episode. But the author included a chapter in the report called The Medical Education of the Negro, where he said, Black people should be trained in sanitation because, quote, a well-taught Negro sanitarian will be immensely useful. An essentially untrained Negro wearing an MD degree is dangerous, end quote. So this report led to more discrimination, hostility, academic framework development, and admissions processes in medical schools that reduced the enrollment of Black medical students. It also led to the closure of many Black-serving medical schools in the legally segregated society. So think about, think about the collateral damage of that report. Not only did it cause uh, medical school enrollment of African-Americans to drop, it closed Black-led medical schools, which also served Black patients, which were already seldom to come by. Think about that. So these barriers have changed over the years, but the disparities have remained in, 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 different, uh, in different ways. And so I mentioned at the top of the episode, some hopeful news for the need for our, the country to have more black doctors. A January, 2022 report noted that the number of first year black students is up by 21%, which is a really unprecedented spike. While the exact reason is unknown, you know, interest could be up, young people could be seeing the pandemic, could be seeing the health disparities and want to get in there and help. There could be so many reasons why. Um, medical schools have noted that the number is increasing as schools following the George Floyd murder and protests increased and adopted new procedures to attract and reduce barriers for black indigenous, indigenous American and students of color. Um, and so to address health disparities afflicting black people, more medical schools are looking beyond test scores for admissions, waiving application fees, allowing more students to interview remotely and are just really looking more seriously at the role of unconscious bias in their admissions procedures, which remember is important because the foundation of so many of these medical schools uh, were grown out of those processes that were really informed by that report I was telling you about. So essentially, medical schools are reporting that a standardized assessment of students, number one, allows for substantial conscious an unconscious bias to unfairly and detrimentally assess black medical school applicants that are just as, if not more qualified academically than other non-black students being considered. Number two, that the standardized assessment of students is culturally incompetent and centers whiteness. Number three, that the assessment 
assumes everyone has the same access to resources and the same lived experience and thus ignores clearly evidenced inequity that makes it more difficult and sometimes impossible to succeed in the ways that they measure success. And number four, this assessment is likely uh, failing to accurately assess the true value, the potential, and the likelihood of achievements of BIPOC students that would really benefit not only the education and experience of the medical schools and their students, but would also improve healthcare and advance public health overall. Essentially, this is about acknowledging that colorblindness in admissions is a really harmful method that is not based in reality, especially when you consider that otherwise, you know, quote unquote, legitimate uh, measures of worthiness like grades, name, you know, the name test. Have you heard, heard about that? The name test where the resumes were the same, but the names are different. We can talk about that later. Uh, but, you know, these measurements like grades and name, extracurricular activities, personal references, familial alumni connections, they're all tied to systemic and structural equity issues in one way or another. And so by medical schools really looking into their processes and figuring out what makes sense for them to actually have a fair um, admissions process is them acknowledging that these anti-affirmative action arguments that we've, you know, oh, we've come to a place in society where discrimination and the collateral damage of discrimination and oppression no longer exists. And so affirmative action really is putting minorities at an unfair advantage. They're, they're really acknowledging that these arguments are untrue and harmful, not only to the students that are applying, um, not only to the to students that don't uh, benefit from uh, affirmative action, which aren't the people that you actually think are not applying are not benefiting from affirmative action, but to the institutions themselves and then the actual field of medicine. So these efforts, along with opening up scholarships uh, for need-based and merit-based giving, may explain increase in medical school enrollment. We really don't know. There's obviously probably so many factors, uh, but we couldn't be happier to hear that we are seeing record number of Black students applying and enrolling in medical school. So the journey and importance of black doctors uh, is something that I'm hoping uh, you're sitting with after we've talked about that today. <clears throat> really talking about the obstacles that they face on their way to becoming a physician um, is really important to think about um, because when we talk about the importance of black doctors, um, it is a reason, uh, not only because it's the right thing to do, not only because um, you know it, it's it's fair, it's just, but also there is so much value in having black doctors because their care, their dedication, their innovation, their creativity, their genius, their lived experience, it saves and improves lives every day. And you know, being a physician or a doctor, uh, that is a high stakes, risky and stressful profession, especially during COVID and especially for black do doctors and especially for black doctors during COVID. <laughs> and we'll get into that. But, you know, I can just say again, being a lawyer, you know, there are serious consequences when you're in certain 
professions where decisions that you make can have major consequences. And so for being a doctor, the decisions that they make, they sometimes can be really miraculous um, and rewarding. Um, and, and, and lead us into a new world. You know, the, the, there was a, a black woman doctor who was vital to the development of the COVID-19 vaccine. And we'll, we'll link to some of these stories below. But it's also a profession where some of the decisions you make can be really disastrous. Um, and you face a, a lot of people going through the worst time in their lives. And so it only adds to, you know, the worst part of people sometimes. And so Black doctors are faced with hostility um, and distrust uh, just based on the fact that they are Black. And so it's a type of profession where you really need to develop relationships with clients and that that doctor client or that doctor patient, I should say, relationship it is protected and it's sacred. Um, and it, there's a serious responsibility there. And so the fact that uh, people really rely on that trust of the doctor in order to feel like they're getting the care they deserve, um, it, it just really highlights why having Black doctors is important. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, when uh, across all races, but especially with patients who are uh, marginalized um, and experience medical racism, they're more likely to report satisfaction with their care when their doctors look like them. And so, you know, across the country, only six out of 10 Black adults say they actually trust doctors to do what is right most of the time, compared with um, eight out of 10 white people. And slightly more than half of Black people said they mostly trust their local hospitals. So these numbers are really concerning because we know the health disparities that the Black community in the United States faces. And so the fact that there is you know, significant distrust of doctors and the um, healthcare facilities that they access um, is really concerning because that means you know, the likelihood of actually going in to receive preventative care um, is, is, is you know, decreased if you do not trust what you're walking into. And these numbers actually appear to be getting worse amid the coronavirus pandemic because so many are seeing that the coronavirus is disproportionately um, affecting, infecting, affecting, uh, and actually killing Black people. Um, and so there is a lot of that distrust is, is even greater when you don't exactly, if you're, if you're not somebody who works in public health and you haven't been looking into this a lot, you might not really understand why it, why it is that, um, you know, there are disproportionate number of African-Americans who are hospitalized and um, actually die from coronavirus um, since the beginning of the pandemic. And so since the pandemic began, seven out of 10 African-Americans say the healthcare system treats people unfairly based on their race very often or somewhat often. That's seven out of 10, 70%, which is a notable increase from 56% when a similar question was asked in 1999. So it has gotten worse over the years. And it is not just suspicion. It's not just a feeling, even though that's valid. So this study, which was published in the Journal of Health Affairs in February 2022, uh, actually found that patients who received care at an urban academic medical center in Chicago, if you are from Chicago, uh, maybe you can guess which one, uh, that these Black patients were more than 2.5 times as likely as white patients to have negative descriptions listed in their health records, in their electronic health records. 
And so this is a huge problem because doctors who see patients look at the medical records um, and the notes that were taken by the uh, previous uh, care physicians, and they are they pretty much normally don't know anything about the patient, especially uh, for those who are accessing care through emergency rooms on a consistent basis, uh, rather than having, you know, one primary care doctor who comes to know you well. Um, But, you know, a lot of these doctors are looking at the chart and they see words like challenging, combative, defensive. Um, You know, these are negative connotations that really are informing how the doctor is going to treat the patient. And then often the physicians will copy and paste the previous notes into their notes, even if they don't know whether the patient is, you know, angry, aggressive, stressed, delusional, whatever. Um, And so it's unnecessary when they do that. But the idea is that it can grow in a person's medical record and immediately and over time impact how a person is treating treated by, uh, by physicians. Um, and so the idea that a physician might determine whether somebody is actually in pain or if they're just aggressive with the, uh, with the doctor, that is an outcome of having negative language and descriptions in a medical record of a, of a black patient. And we know that there is racism in medical practice and that uh, doctors do not assess pain tolerance amongst patients the same, that they will look at a black patient and identify them complaining about pain or symptoms and not take them as seriously as a white patient's uh, complaints. And so this is really, really harmful to hear. And so we know that uh, when we're talking about black doctors and representation with within the medical field, that having people who um, don't have uh, bias and not to say that, you know, just because black doctors exist doesn't mean that they don't have, um, you know, internalized racism of their own. But the idea is that um, there are white physicians that are making these negative notes in medical records, and it's harmful for black patients. And, you know, patients and us non-doctors are not the only ones that experience this. Black doctors experience this type of treatment as well. I am just so saddened um, about the story of Dr. Susan Moore, uh, who died um, of COVID-19 last year um, in Indiana. Perhaps you've heard the story, but Dr. Susan Moore, uh, she was a doctor and she was admitted to a hospital in Indiana, that uh, Indiana University Health North Hospital. And she was very aware of what was going on with her. And she was repeatedly asking for medication, for additional scans, for routine checks. She knew what she was, you know, what she deserved. She knew what she had the right to receive and she knew what was going on in her body. And um, she was complaining on social media that she was not receiving the treatment that she deserved. She said that the doctor who was caring for her, the white doctor that she was caring for her was dismissing her pain. Um, And she was actually saying that she didn't trust the hospital while she was receiving treatment. 
And she said in her video, you know, this is how black people get killed. And then you send them home and they don't know how to fight for themselves. Well, she was actually released from the hospital uh, by the health system, but she was hospitalized just 12 hours later when her temperature spiked and her blood pressure dropped. Um, she was eventually taken to another hospital and she did say she was experiencing better care there, but, um, you know, she unfortunately passed away and it's just a very sad example of a black woman, um, which by the way, are making up an increasing percentage of, uh, black doctors, um, as the years go by, um, black women who are professional, know what they're doing, know themselves well and their pain, um, and their symptoms that they're expressing um, are just dismissed. And so actually the CEO of Indiana University Health said that he, he thought that the medical team uh, at the hospital didn't fail any of the technical aspects of uh, Dr. Moore's care, but he did say that they did a medical quality review and admitted that she did not receive the level of compassion and respect that they strive for when it comes to understanding what matters most to patients. So that's just a very sad story to show that even doctors um, experience this um, inequity and, and, and really um, suffer from um, the evidence that leads folks to really distrust um, medical care, which is, which is really sad and leads also to the importance of black doctors. And so there was a doctor in Milwaukee, Dr. Latasha Harper. Um, she's at the Frodert McKinley Health Center in Milwaukee. Um, and she was actually interviewed by WTMG TV uh, about why it was important to her um, to become a doctor and how she as a black doctor is working to fight racial disparity in healthcare, really using her own family as an example. And so Dr. Harper was interviewed and really was just saying that seeing someone from not only of the same race, but also the same socioeconomic background um, and just having an understanding about the culture uh, that the patients come from, the patients feel more comfortable sharing information uh, that they felt like they couldn't share with someone else uh, that didn't look like her, that didn't come from uh, the community that they're from, and that she's seen the type of trust between her patients really make all the difference in the care that they receive. Um, and so the idea that you would be more consistent with your medicine regime, for example, when you know the doctor has fully explained to you, you understand and you trust the doctor in their explanation of the importance of taking your medication, you trust the medication that you're taking. Black excellence is not exclusive to Black History Month. We would love to hear about your personal Black excellence story. Do you know any Black doctors that you think are incredible and deserve a shout out? Let us know. Send us a shout out on social media at Center for Black Health on Instagram and Facebook or Center for BH on Twitter. Be well, be rested, be joyful. Thank you.